Welcome to my podcast, Peace, Love, and Pets. I am your host, Sandy Kamen Wisniewski. Join me and my guests as we share our personal stories of struggles and triumphs as we continue our path of spiritual growth. We'll share story after story, many that include animals, our great teachers in this life. We are all souls living a human experience on paths of self-discovery here on planet Earth. On this podcast, my goals are to give you tools to help serve you on your personal path of evolution. Individually and collectively, we can create a world filled with peace and love. Let's do it together. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Peace, Love, and Pets. I am your host, Sandy Kamen Wisniewski. I am the founder and director of Animal Education and Rescue, a nonprofit humane society and rescue for animals. You can visit our website at www.aear.org. You can also learn more about my other services on my website, www.mindfulspirit.net. If you are interested in any of my books, you can find them on my website, sandykamenwisniewski.com. Hello, everyone. This is Sandy Kamen Wisniewski, and this is my podcast, Peace, Love, and Pets. And today we have a very special guest. And before I introduce her to you, I want to just give you an introduction into some of the different podcasts that we're going to be doing. I am a firm believer in the human spirit, and I believe that everybody is on their own journey of growth and There are so many people in the world that are not famous that you might not see or read about or hear in any kind of social media that are making amazing strides in their life, that are overcoming so many obstacles that make them incredibly courageous people. And those kind of people, the everyday people who are really extraordinary people are the ones that you're going to hear about on this podcast. And I'm hoping that by them agreeing to share their story and open their heart, that they will be able to inspire you that you can be courageous too. You can make changes in your life. So that's the introduction. And I will go from there by introducing a very special person in my life. Her name is Nikki. And Nikki is opposite me. We're sitting in the playroom, the doggies playroom in the basement. She just got off of work. And so we are going to have a chit chat. And so Nikki, tell us who you are, your full name, and where you're from, because people are going to want to know immediately based on that accent where you're from. <laughs> so my name is Nikki Nias. My Cloud. Nikki Cloud. Soon. It's going to be soon to be Cloud in three weeks. Um, and my given name was Nicola. So most people pronounce it Nicola, but it is actually Nicola. And um, I live here in Illinois, obviously, um, but I am originally from New Zealand. So. Okay. 
Okay, great. So I've learned a lot about New Zealand, by the way, since mm-hmm. I've gotten to know you. You probably know more than I do. <laughs> it is very tiny. Yeah, it is very tiny. <laughs> it is very, very tiny, but it is. Uh, it sounds absolutely beautiful. It, it really does. So tell me a little bit about your family dynamic. Where I know you grew up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your parents, your siblings, what kind of... Uh, home you grew up in so um uh, my mom and i were extremely close and still are extremely close um and my dad um unfortunately passed away um in 2006 um on mother's day um he had a massive heart attack um and was not able to be revived um so i do have and i have two brothers uh two older brothers um dennis who's my middle middle brother um he is i think like three years older than me so he's around 51 um and michael my oldest brother who i'm very close with um and he's about 54 i think 53 54. okay Mm -hmm. okay great and so in your childhood you know people that that listen to our podcast are huge animal lovers Mm -hmm. so can you give me a story of your childhood that you can think of that had to do with animals anything you can think of um I mean, I look back in a lot of the photos of me when I was little, like, you know, four or five um, years old. In a lot of the pictures, I'm, you know, scruffing, <laughs> holding a cat, like, you know, tightly, like, tightly, and its legs are hanging down, or, or a small dog. And I don't remember what any of those dogs were, but, or cats, I just, I think I just gravitated, gravitated towards them, or them to me. Um, but the one pet that I did have um, was a dog named Tinker. Um, and my dad got that dog for me, um, when I was very young, like probably seven. Um, it was a Maltese cross Chihuahua, um, kind of like a Sydney Silky, I guess. I think they call them over here. I'm not sure. A little bit of a different name for them. Or we call them Sydney Silkies. Um, it was not child friendly at all. (laughs) (laughs) So did it bite you? It bit me a lot. And I, you know, I was young, so I wanted to dress it up and put it in a pram, you know, in a a stroller. And uh, yeah, it wasn't having any of that, but I still tried. (laughs) (laughs) I would take it to, uh, we'd have pet day at school, you know, which also um, involved people with cows and sheep and because we, you know, it's farmland. Um, and it, it just, it would sit on my mum's lap and anybody that came near it, you know, it was like a little bit, it would like lunge at them and snap at them. And so, you know, it wasn't really my dog. <laughs> it wasn't, but it was super cute. Um, super cute. And we had, uh, we had Tinker until she was, I think, 12. Okay. Um, so she was really our main pet. Um, I had some bud- budgies, um, which are cockatiels. Parakeets. Parakeets over here. Sorry, that's right. Um, and stray cats that followed me home, but nothing that stuck because we did have, you know, they were outside. Um, we don't have the predators that we have over here, so our cats are indoor, outdoor. Um, so they'd come as strays, and then, you know, a few months later they'd stray off somewhere else, and somebody else was giving them better food. Um, so I never really had a solid cat as a, as a pet growing up, just the dog. So that's interesting, mm-hmm. is that, so what Nikki's saying is that in New Zealand, the attitude about cats was that they kind of came and went mm-hmm. and that they really weren't pets the way that we here in the United States, we keep our, well, responsible people, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. keep their 
cats indoors. Mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is that in New Zealand, that people just let their cats in and Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, we're um, usually just like leave a a window open. You know, winters don't get that cold. So even in winter, we can, you know, it doesn't get below much below 40. Um, So we'd leave a, you know, leave a window open in the kid's bedroom or something, or we'd have cat flaps, like doggy doors, but for the cats. Wow. Um, And they would just come and go as they please, you know, if it rained outside, then the next morning you have little muddy paw prints through the whole house. Um, But yeah, like I said, there's just, there's no, there are no predators. really just stray cats you know other like tom and cars and and cars yes so, so that is still a predator yeah yeah um and yes there were a lot of deceased right pets so, on the road mm-hmm. so we're not so, advocating no. that people have mm-hmm. their cats outdoors no, 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 no uh but but i remember you telling me nikki uh, that it was strange for you at first mm-hmm. when you thought cats don't go outside they just stay inside right i thought it was cruel yeah you know? and when i finally you know, my ex-husband finally said, okay, we can have a cat over here. Um, Cookie was my first cat. It was a calico. And I would put her on a harness and put a stake in the middle of the backyard and put a big long cord on there. And so she would be outside. And I did that when she was very little um, and then realized it was not a wise choice because every time we opened the door, she just bolted for it so we lost her quite a few times oh boy uh especially when my mum came and visit visited visited um she was not fast at closing the door behind you know okay. she'd leave the door open and be like hey so did you need anything and the cat's whoop, straight out okay. so um yeah I, it so i i learned pretty quickly that it was better to keep the cat indoors but that one there had, had a taste of the outdoors yeah so once they do it's very hard to keep them inside but yeah my cat's since then have always been indoor cats and I and I now I understand why yeah yes Mm -hmm. you're an advocate for that okay absolutely so uh growing up you really didn't have that many animals so it's kind of we're gonna talk in just a few minutes a little Mm -hmm. bit about what you're doing now Mm -hmm. but we got a lot to talk about in between Mm -hmm. a lot (laughs) so here you are in the state of Illinois in the United States of America Mm-hmm. And you're originally yeah. from New Zealand. New Zealand. What year did you come to the United States? April 8th, uh, 2000, uh, 1999. 1999. 1999. And you came with your then husband? Then husband. We, we, we were married in 97. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your intention for being here was? One to five years, sort of a, a working holiday, you know, just experience it. Uh, back in New Zealand, we were very much into hot rods, classic cars. He had a 1966 Chevrolet. I had a 1954 pickup. Um, and so we were very much into the, you know, sock hops and drive-in movie theaters and all that sort of stuff. So when we got married, we decided for our honeymoon, we would spend a month touring around the States and we loved it. And he got offered a, you know, a job in construction. So they gave us the ability to come over and, uh, yeah. And five, stay. Five years. Yeah. For five years. For five years. Which and turned which into? Which turned into 23. <laughs> 23 years. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So now... Full disclosure, everyone, I know Nikki very, very well. 
So, so I'm going to be asking the questions based on things that I already know about her, but I think that will be beneficial to you. And maybe before we go, well, no, we'll, we'll go into how we met and all that. We'll just do it in kind of the way it, it kind of Mm -hmm. flowed from your life. So describe to me from the time that you uh, the time that you came here to the United States mm-hmm. and then the the pivotal shift in your life, the big change in your life, um, what were you doing? What was your regular life like? What did you... Um, you didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. So working... Give me an overall picture of what you were doing and what your husband was doing during that time so when we first came over he worked in construction and he built storage facilities um we moved around a lot uh we lived in apartments with four usually four other guys from south africa england new zealand australia sometimes americans not very often um and i lived in that apartment with them um and uh he we would do maybe like a storage facility that took like three weeks and then we'd move to Washington DC and spend two months there and then we'd move to Massachusetts and spend a month there and so we traveled around a lot and we had to travel in a van because we needed to take you know, they needed to take all their tools so, so give me a time frame on that like so that was probably from two, 99 through to 2001 oh okay so, so the we, first couple of years the first couple of all, years was traveling Okay, and then what happened? And then he d- he was offered a job from a gentleman that he worked with here um, so we could stay and not have to travel. Um, initially, he was told that we were going to be going up to Pennsylvania in, for a six-month job, and neither of us really wanted to travel. So he took that job, um, which made, made us stationary, finally. Um, so that was in Palatine. And Illinois. Illinois, mm-hmm. And uh, we got our first apartment just ourselves in um, Lake Moore, um, up in the meadows in Lake Moore. So that was like three years later mm-hmm. after you moved here. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah. So and then I, and then I got a job um, as a waitress, which was my first job since being here. Okay. And that I was just you know watching daytime TV. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, and you had no family here in the States. No family. Both our family was back in New Zealand. So the only one you had was your then husband. Then husband. Okay. Mm-hmm. And no friends, no, nobody. No friends, no nobody, nobody for the first three years mm-hmm. or so. We had um, the person that um, my husband worked for, he was very young, and he was actually a New Zealander who was with um, in a relationship with an American. Um, very volatile crazy relationship um a really uncomfortable way to (laughs) to be living um in in an environment with them so she was um the only kind of friend that i had but she wasn't very stable so no she wasn't a stable person in your life okay okay so then the next let's say decade of your life what were you doing um uh, myself bartending jobs bartending and waitressing okay um so that's all i did i never really um i think i you know worked at a retail store a couple of times a couple of different retail stores but mostly i was in the service industry for bartending and and waitressing in like four different places so maybe the first 13 years you were Mm -hmm. here 14 years yeah and so what did you do 
what brought you at that time, looking back on it, what did you think, not now, Mm -hmm. what you think, but back then, what brought you joy? What what did you enjoy doing when you weren't working or was it work? What what brought you joy? Well, I actually I forgot about um two thousand and seven, um I left the bartending with a very good friend of mine and he bought uh, a franchise for edible arrangements. Um, it's a, a business that mm-hmm. that you make fruit and mm-hmm. you into bouquets, into bouquets, like flower bouquets. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, there was we were number six in the whole of Illinois. And there's like sixty now, so we were up there pretty early on. Um, and he purchased it so I could run the business. So okay. he could spend time with me. He was a very good friend. Um, spend time with me and get me out of the bar industry, um, which I was happy enough to do. And I was very creative, so I enjoyed doing that. Okay. Didn't enjoy the manager side, but um, and then after I we um, I decided to leave um, and start working for my husband. Talk about that. Once I started uh, decided to leave, and my husband and I were going to re- re- uh, remodel houses and started our own company. He sold sold that that business. Okay. And then I think that was about 2013. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say during that time in your life, what did you do outside of <laughs> your work? What, what, what was your um, social life like? I drank. <laughs> okay. Um, that was our social life. We were still in the bar the swing of things you know the bar that I'd worked with and met all our friends through was across the street from the edible arrangements oh wow so <clears throat> we were still hanging out with all the friends we'd met you know um I say friends lightly but back then they were our family and our friends not healthy that I see now but they were um <clears throat> and uh, that's mostly what we did we you know hung out at the bar drank um didn't really do a lot else. Um, yeah. So as far as living a life of purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. what would you say about that at that time in your life? <clears throat> there wasn't any, I was just enjoying life. You know, I think I was still in my thirties. So, you know, we were just, I, I didn't see, um, I didn't have, any goals or ambitions um it's just enjoying just enjoying life and and thinking to myself you know we're probably just going to go back to New Zealand eventually okay that's kind of where I so I I don't think I ever wanted to put down any roots so you felt almost like um transient Mm -hmm. in a sense in limbo yeah yeah in limbo yeah wow okay so Mm -hmm. let's fast forward to your first cracking open. And before we do that, let Mm -hmm. me explain to listeners who don't know what that means. That's a terminology I use all the time to describe what happens when someone goes through something dramatic in their life and that completely changes or uh, pivots the course of their life. So would you like to share what year was it and what happened? Uh, it was about f- five years ago. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. 
There's been so many. But um, that was the that was the big one, right? So that was one. that changed my whole course of, of everything. everything. Okay, so <coughs> so that was back. Um, it's the year two thousand and twenty-three. So that was back in seventeen. I think it was uh, two thousand that day was like when that change started and what happened <clears throat> I um had been drinking a lot um we we had we had bought a house in 2013 up in the lake area of Illinois um so we obviously you know started having friends we had our neighbors became very good friends we all you know did a lot of parties and backyard parties and, and it was just a big sort of community and then we went we got into the boating scene so we ended up doing the boating thing you know and that's what we did and um I just didn't um I, I didn't feel like I had any purpose or any roots or any um yeah I just didn't feel like I had any purpose I was just going along with everybody else doing what 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 they did um I wasn't holding a job down so I was towards 2017 like maybe the last year year and a half I was very unhealthy um and I was not holding jobs down I would do a bartending job but I would just quit in the middle of a shift just because I just would have a huge anxiety attacks. I worked at a really great steakhouse, really good money, really, really wonderful people. I kept having panic attacks in the middle of shifts. So tell us about that. What, why were you having panic attacks? What was going on? I mean, I didn't know at the time, or maybe I did know at the time, but it was all alcohol related. Um, I would have, and, and you know, they, they would just come out of the blue. My heart would start palpitating and I'd start like, hyperventilating. Um, I had did it a few times when I was driving with my family in the car when they came to visit and I had to pull over and my husband would have to come and pick us up in the van and um, but it was affecting my daily life and obviously being able to hold down a job so um, so my drinking had got very out of control and nobody knew I was drinking quietly um, all day every day pretty much from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep and sometimes I'd get up at two o'clock in the morning go down into the basement turn on the tv and, and have a few drinks for an hour and then go back to bed wow and nobody um nobody knew you know and we've talked about this before that so many people that I had close to me didn't they just didn't pick up on it and were pretty astounded you know after everything happened um one day I woke up and I just was sick of being ill. I had the couple of weeks before that, um, people from the, the um, restaurant that I worked had worked at, um, she had like um, a, uh, a business where, you know, you'd go in and help the elderly, you know, assisted living and stuff like that. And she said, I'd be great at it. And I always loved it back in New Zealand. I always loved, um, you know, going to the old folks home and sitting with people and talking with them and so I'm like that would be great you know and she says you'd be perfect for it so I went and I interviewed with her and then she said that it would be 7 30 in the morning till like sort of two and I said to her I couldn't do the morning shift because I was on medication that made me nauseous in the morning 
because I was sick every morning. Like every morning I was physically throwing up bile and just my nose would run, my eyes would run. I would just, if anybody's been sick to where they've had the flu or something and they've got an empty stomach but they just keep throwing up, it's horrible. And it would happen to me every morning. Um, So you were essentially poisoning yourself yourself. every Mm -hmm. day around the clock. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I had to turn, I I told her I wouldn't be able to do the job. And I said I couldn't, you know, I just unfortunately, I had to do something after sort of 10 o'clock in the morning. So I turned that job down and I think that's where I really realized I had a major problem. Um, And then just one day, um, sort of middle of the day, still drinking, you know, I just decided enough was enough. And I called my insurance company (laughs) first to see if they would cover me going into a rehab facility. And I didn't know anything about it. Like, I mean, it's not like something you study. Um, and they said that they would cover it. And uh, I called, and I don't even remember to this day what hospital it was. I think it was like Alexian Brothers or somewhere like that. Don't even remember. Um, and they said they had one bed. If I could be here in an hour and a half, I could have that bed. So I called my husband and said to him I just checked myself into rehab I'm leaving now I packed my bag threw stuff into a bag that you you know nothing that I even really needed just threw stuff into a bag he flew home from work and drove me there and uh, it's pretty blurry and I don't think it's because I was drinking blurry it was just I blocked a lot of it out and was just it was just a blur the whole the whole day and I admitted myself in, and I did it three days in a detox unit, um, and did surprisingly well, actually. And uh, and then came out, and I wanted to do 30 days in um, a gateway community, and my Now, husband, what's a gateway community? Um, it's, it's called Gateway, and it's a, like a rehab facility where you can actually go and stay. Like a day program? Like a day program. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing a day program because my husband was like, oh, I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to look after the cats, so you can't go away for 30 days. So I wanted to just be away from everything. But he said he didn't want me to. So I ended up just signing up and going every day, Monday through Thursday, from uh, 10 o'clock in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So was he supportive of what you were doing? No, he did at one point say to me, you know, uh, like and I said to him if you could not have alcohol around the house while I'm still you know well I didn't feel it was a big problem to me unless it was wine or vodka <laughs> but um he said it's my it's my problem he says it's your problem not mine so I shouldn't have to suffer wow so I mean he was supportive in the fact that he didn't you know try to make me drink or anything yeah, like that he, right. but he he was just leading you know going on with his life and I went to AA meetings two sometimes three times a day Wow. Um, and, I, and I don't think it was really because I had to, but I found myself a community of people that really cared and understood. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was my big, that was the big cracking open. Wow. And that was, uh, when was that? 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, June 16th, sweet 16th, okay. 2017. So it's be, this year it'll be six years. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. And I never, yeah. Yeah. I never uh, stumbled or went back or anything, so. It's, 
So you've been sober for six, six years. years. Six June. years. Mm-hmm. So how, when you became sober, mm-hmm. and after obviously the alcohol was detoxed out of your body, mm-hmm. tell me what it feels like now from that perspective. Like, what changed? I mean, obviously, the, did the panic attacks go away? Everything. Panic attack. Yep. Anxiety, panic attacks. Um, I was on blood pressure medication. Um, obviously, anxiety medication. Um antidepressants, um, uh, fluid medication, so I was always like puffy, um, yeah, so I, and everything. I everything was off was gone. Everything. Off it, mm-hmm. okay. Off everything, and wow. it was instant. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Instant. So then I would assume that now because then your body was healthy, mm-hmm. your mind was healthy, mm-hmm. so what happened then with you? Um, I started, I started doing a lot of volunteering because I still wasn't working. Um, I started doing a lot of volunteering at a local farm that it's a sanctuary for goats and now a lot more other farm animals, but mainly goats. Um, and once again, you know, found a community there of people. I mean, I think I've always been just trying to find somewhere to belong, um, and uh, but I was doing uh, spending a lot of time there during the week and on the weekends, um, and just feeling great, you know, healthy and good. And my husband would go on the boat on the weekends, and quite often I'd be like, I can't go, and that was kind of becoming a bit of a issue between us. That you know I was ignoring our friends and not wanting to be with our friends but because they were all drinkers, yeah. okay. and none of them. And then they were awfully uncomfortable around me. Um, so I was like, I don't care. Like, I, you guys drink on the boat. I've got my seltzer water with like 20 different flavors. And I was fine. I mean, I, from the day I stopped drinking to even now, I have no intention of going back. Even what I've been through, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, never looked for alcohol. Never. Um, I just remember how miserable my life was. Um and I just remember how horrible it was every morning and every night and being dependent on something and walking down the aisles of the grocery store and never looking anybody in the eye because they'd know my secret. Yeah. Um, and the day when I could walk down and I looked me directly in the eye, ice cream aisle, but in the eye, <laughs> um, and smiled and said hi, you know, it was so exhilarating. It was so freeing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had just, I, you know, I, I did end up getting a job in like a deli and, uh, for a little bit. And then, um, uh, I got a job at a natural, th- called natural therapy and wellness center, a wonderful, um, natural uh, therapy and, uh, they do massage and acupuncture. So I started working there Wednesday nights and Saturdays just to kind of get myself back into a, a normal job, normal routine. Um, and went to our animal hospital to take one of my cats there to have some vaccines, and they were looking for somebody to work. And I applied, and they hired me. No experience, no nothing, just purely from the way I looked, the way I acted, and my personality. Um, and none of that would have been possible. None of that would have been possible um, if I'd been drinking. Okay. So that was the one big change, big change. huge mm-hmm. change in your life. Opened yeah. you up to lots of new experiences but seems to have also uh caused some issues with you and your husband Mm -hmm. because he hadn't changed at all you had changed a lot 
So then what happened? What was the next big cracking open for you? Um, it would be um, 2020. Um, uh, 2020, everyone, remember, that was the year <laughs> that the world shut down. Right. <laughs> so we got it. That's, that's like a layer to this. Right, yeah. I had gone to New Zealand um, for the month of, for three weeks in April. And I believe I came back about a week and a half before they shut down the borders um, to, to New Zealand and everything. And it all went crazy. Um, I was working at the animal hospital. I'd been there for a year and a half or so. Um, and uh, it was just insane. We were, you know, just just managing that. Nobody knew and as a manager there and nobody knew how to manage it. Every day regulations were changing and, you know, we couldn't have people we had to go out and get the animals out of the cars and um it was it was just insane and uh, I just started feeling um not well like just really lethargic and tired and um not what I'm used to because I was feeling great for a few years um and uh so I went I I have had I had been diagnosed in 2003 with um thrombocythemia which is like um, a blood disease, um, manageable with medication. It's basically a high platelet count. Um, and then I, be, I believe about 2008, I got a new oncologist, the other one retired, and they re-diagnosed me with myelofibrosis, which is much more severe and permanent, and it will turn into acute myeloid leukemia at some point in my life. So ticking time bomb in my body. <laughs> and when did that when did you get that diagnosis? Uh, about 2000 and it could have been in the early 2010, maybe around then. How did you, did you just put it in the back of your mind? Is that yeah. how you f- focused on life? Yeah, I just was on medication, just one pill for, to keep my platelets down. And they just said, you know, it could, t- it'll turn once now that I knew that it was myelofibrosis. Uh, it was fibrosis of the bone marrow um, in the hip. Um, area and it would just get worse and worse until all the cells would start not being able to live there and they would start moving into my body and and feeding off different organs and then I would start having organ failure Um, and that is you know uh, the that yeah that it's I my mom was always saying I never took it seriously (laughs) but it's like what do you do you know you live with the time bomb and you what are you gonna just Right. There's nothing I could do to so fix you, it or you make it better, really. Yeah. So you just chose so to I just... just chose to just keep living and keep put it living. in the background. Yeah. Now. And, you know, um, and so when I when I went into my oncologist, because I was had lost weight um, and I was having trouble breathing and all the things I presumed were just... Um, fatigue fatigue yeah I mean it was you know we were wearing masks we were wearing N95s you know we were running around in and out of the cold and you know um, just stress just stress in general of every single day something changing and having to tell everybody that oh we're doing it just this way now so I just you know I believed it was just all of that um, itchy the biggest thing was my skin was itchy and uh, um that that was the one thing that I thought was odd 
So I went to my oncologist and he's like, I think it's time to do a bone marrow biopsy again. And they did. And he says it's time for a stem cell transplant. So, so describe what that means. So, um, so a lot, probably about 10 years ago, they would do a bone marrow biopsy, which is where they would drill holes into your hips and pull out um, uh, cylinders, corks of um, bone marrow. And you'd have your donor would be in the room next to you and they'll be doing the same. And they would be putting his marrow into yours. Um, really painful, very um, small survival rate. Um, so that was always how I thought I was going to have to have done eventually. But now when they told me it was a stem cell transplant, they had, you know, obviously, you know, medical miracles and advancements, advancements and stuff. Um, it consisted of obviously finding a donor, um, which we thought would be easy because news, I thought it would be easy because New Zealand, you know, Caucasian, you know, but what I found out was it's not because New Zealand is such a small country. It's it's harder to find a match, and we there was no matches like throughout the entire world registry there was no matches, um, and he said it was basically something I needed to have done within six months or I would turn into acute leukemia and there's no going back with that one. Um, so finding a donor and then spending usually around a month to two months in hospital. Um, it's extremely um, strong um, chemo to kill off everything. Wait, let's back up mm -hmm. just a bit. Mm -hmm. You got a donor. Yes. Um, they tested my brothers, and luckily my brother, one of my brothers, was a half match. So it wasn't a full, but it was a half, so... Basically, we just had to run with it because... What does that mean, difference between a half and a full? Um, the percentage. Like, the, the chromosome match was 50%. And so, they, they prefer 100%. So at 50%, it might not work, mm -hmm. is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. It was, okay. A, you know, yeah. It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a really good, good chance, but it was still a chance. Okay, so he was in New Zealand. He was in New Zealand. You were here in Illinois, mm -hmm. and he was the match. Mm -hmm. What else was going on in your life at that time? So while I was going through that, those few months of figuring all that out, working out, you know, with work, knowing that I was going to have to take like probably six months off work, maybe even a year, um, finding I needed to have um, a 24-7 caregiver, so my husband was going to obviously be my caregiver. Um, all of that was being sorted. Um, and then in about July, uh, actually it was my birthday, <laughs> my birthday in July 22nd, and uh, I'd had some suspicions that he was being really forthcoming and very, like, I don't know, just... Your husband? Yeah, just very, very attentive, and which was not like him at all. Um, but anyway, I found out that he'd been talking to um, somebody about my, you know, my illness and that, and they had started a relationship. So he was having an so affair? he was having an affair. Mm -hmm. And this was right before you were supposed to go into the right hospital? Right before I was supposed to go into hospital. I was going in in October. 
and obviously I had to spend a few months preparing for it, you know, medications and things like that, um, and uh, yeah, so that was traumatizing and horrible, really, I don't know. Um, so then what happened? Then, then um, you decided to split up? What happened? Yeah, then? I mean, he kept saying that he would you know, end it, and I said, you know, if you could just get me through this, you know, be my caregiver for the few months, and, and then we'll part ways, you do what you want, you know, I mean, our relationship hadn't been fantastic, you know, we weren't this crazy in love couple, and, and obviously since my first cracking open with my drinking, um, giving up, you know, the alcohol, really, we had even less in common, you know, mm -hmm. um, we didn't, so I felt like it was... It was strained anyway, and but I mean I feel like when I'm looking back on it all, I realize it more than I did then. Um, uh, it was just it was making me so ill, um, being stressed with him and everything that was going on. I just told him um, that I was that I had to focus on my health and surviving, and that I needed to, I wanted to move out because he was one hundred percent sure he couldn't live with her without her so we, I knew it was over and I wasn't gonna flog you know keep, keep trying to keep somebody that didn't want to be kept um, so I moved out in August um, found an apartment over the water and so I had to do that <laughs> and you know all those years in the house and memories and things like that I you know and he didn't I didn't want to talk to him or see him or talk to him or anything so I just pretty much went through stuff on my own and at night packing up things and getting ready for um to move out so you then moved to this apartment mm -hmm. and so and so if he was not your support system because he was busy doing what he was doing, mm -hmm. where did you get your support system from? So we had talked about my mum coming over to support me while I was going through, you know, chemo and, and everything. Um, we didn't want her over here because she's older, 75, and not the greatest health. Um, and it's the middle of COVID, you know. I mean, it, it could kill her. So that made me very bitter that I had to reach out. He came up to me one day after we watched a video of, uh, it was a Zoom meeting on for, care, for caregivers of a stem cell transplant patient. And I went into the kitchen and he came into me and he's like, I, I can't do it. I can't, I just can't do it. I, he can't take care of I'm, you. I, he, says, I'm, 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 he says, you have to call your mother and tell her to come over. So uh, I did that, and my mom and my brothers were not happy about it at all. And They wanted you to go home to they wanted me to go New home. Zealand. I'd been through all the testing and everything, and just I didn't want to just pack up and with my tail between my legs and go back to New Zealand. Um, and a big reason of that was um, an old friend of mine, um, a male, um, I had reached out to a lot of people that I hadn't reached out to that I knew, not a lot of people, a couple of people that had been really important in my life, throughout my life, and I wanted, that I wasn't in touch with anymore. Um, and I reached out to him just to let him know that I was going through a stem cell transplant and I most probably wasn't going to make it because it didn't sound 
great. <laughs> the odds weren't great. And that I just wanted to let him know that I, you know, I cared about him and he was a really important person in my life and he reached back out to me and that's when we started talking and I told him that, you know, I had left Greg. So to tell to to delve into that a little bit deeper, in two thousand and ten Greg and I did separate. My husband and I separated. Shouldn't be using names. And um we separated for a year and um this person and I saw each other a little bit and he saw some other people and um, but at that point, both of us, the gentleman that I got in touch with and myself were big drinkers and we just, we would have destroyed each other and decided to make a go of it with my husband. He said he was changing. He did for a few months. Um, and then I cut all ties from, with this gentleman for 10 years because I was 100% committed to my husband, um, and making it work. And we were happy. We so that's what I thought. Um, so I reached out to this gentleman again and we just started talking and talking via, you know, Facebook Messenger and that. And he just ended up being my support. Like he stepped up where somebody else stepped down. And, um, and then he ended up, you know, my mum came over. He ended up being on the phone with me on uh, messenger with me on video chat with me every day when I was in hospital obviously it was COVID I couldn't have any visitors so I couldn't have anybody with me I was just by myself um, and he was there every day for me and what other support people um, did you I did have? have a girlfriend call a girlfriend of mine um, who I was very close with um, I'd known for about five years and uh, her husband we were very close with them it was um, the four of us would go out all the time you know um, restaurants and, and different, you know, galas and stuff like that. Um, it was her friend, a very close friend of hers that, um, my husband was having the affair with. Um, so they were very much appalled by him and what he was doing, how he could do that to me after 22 years of marriage. And then when I really needed him to just be selfish and care about his own needs so they supported me through the whole thing too um they looked after my mum when she came over my mum was in the apartment by herself for a few weeks before they could even sneak her into the hospital to visit me so they would take her for dinner and um come and you know buy her groceries and all that and she was super stressed and super lonely by herself so they were really a huge support they would come and pick up laundry for me at the hospital and you know grab me things that I needed and um very in you know in contact with my family she started a GoFundMe page for me um and you know just rallied around and really you know was my big big supporter and my advocate okay so, yeah so um so then you were in the hospital mm -hmm. and I can I mean at some point we got to talk about how I know you mm -hmm. um and how we know each other so I'll just say that Nikki knew me before I knew her because mm -hmm. she adopted a cat from our organization back in uh, many years ago. Yeah, two, yeah, many years ago. Yeah. So she knew of me, but Early we, 2000s, mid yeah, 2000s. Mm -hmm. but but I didn't know her, and I had one uh, dealing with her when she offered to help with a rabbit that we had at the time that she worked at the animal hospital, and she brought out medication and she was wearing a mask so I wouldn't have recognized her if I saw her outside of there and um and so that's 
all that was when what it was COVID because we were right so 2020 2020 Mm -hmm. probably early well when it was before you had this the um it was probably around that april or may May, okay may or june yeah and so then um at that point I started getting this feeling that I needed to contact her um, because I saw we weren't friends on Facebook, but I saw that she was trying to raise money by selling soap. And somehow I got on her Facebook feed because, mm-hmm. um, like I said, we were not friends mm-hmm. on Facebook. And I just felt like I needed to contact her and ask her if she had an energy healer. And I knew nothing about her and I knew nothing about whether she knew what an energy healer was or if she'd think I was crazy. Mm -hmm. But I kept getting this annoying push that I had to contact her. So I private messaged her on Facebook, I believe it was. Yes. And I just said, I heard you were going through, going to be going through cancer. And um, I'm wondering if you have an energy healer because I think that would really help you. And you said that you had an energy healer, that mm-hmm. your friend was an energy healer and worked with you. Right. And so then I said, well, you need to raise money because you need funding because of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you have a GoFundMe page? And sh- and you said, no, not yet. And so I helped her friend put mm-hmm. together the GoFundMe page. Right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that's how we initially connected uh, in the beginning. Yeah. So then you went into the hospital. Uh, and at before that, that, I started coming to you for... Oh, it was yeah, before. That's right. some pro bono for me, and I was helping out with the rabbits in the basement. That's right. Um, that's right. Because I felt like I wanted to try. I felt like I needed to come and see you. And Jessica was like, yeah, do it. You know, if she's going to, you know, be good for you. Um, and I was definitely feeling the effects with you more than I was with Jessica, and she was on board with the, you know. So I know I started coming to see you. That's right. On a regular basis. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I did offer um, Nikki pro bono energy healing and spiritual coaching. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I did a lot of sessions with her mm-hmm. um, prior to her going so into the hospital. The hospital. Yeah. Um, and the just for the listeners here. Um, what that means is that I worked on helping her body, her physical body and her emotional body be as healthy as it could possibly be so that it could handle the, I guess, hell that that she was going to go through with the chemotherapy, with the, all of the the tests, all, everything that she was going to have to go through. So it was like trying to uh, just prepare her to be able to survive it Mm -hmm. is the idea behind it. And then with the coaching end of it, it was to work on the spiritual component of her life. And for everybody the we all are spiritual beings and the more that we get in touch with the power of love and the power of connection and the power of uh living a life that is joyful and of purpose the healthier we're going to be physically so it kind of all wrapped up together um and and then 
but we weren't, I wouldn't say, I mean, she was my client mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was committed to helping her. And I don't know why I felt, dr- I, I don't do pro bono work like that. Mm-hmm. It's not, if I did, I'd be, you know, I, I can't do that. <laughs> right. So, and I did many, many, many sessions with her um, prior. And then she went into the hospital mm-hmm. and then tell us from there. Um, so I went into the hospital, um, uh, just before Thanksgiving and actually I went in, um, so my brother donated his cells and originally, initially he went into Auckland, which is the big, you know, biggest city close to where I live in New Zealand. And, uh, that's, you know, the only place that would be able to do the stem cells. Um, they freeze them um, cryogenically, and then they ship them over to us, um, and they're handled. They basically have a person that comes over with them to make sure that they're in, kept frozen, kept um, in the conditions and everything. Um, so first, the first thing that happened, my brother, um, he, he got the stem, we got the stem cells, um, and when they came over, no, they sorry they and they could not contacted us and said in New Zealand, overnight while they were in the like cryogenic freezer or whatever it was, it malfunctioned and they all got destroyed. Mm. So we had to get him back um, again, <laughs> like and he obviously he had to have injections into his stomach mm. like every day, really painful because mm. uh, I had the same stuff when I was in hospital. It was one of the worst things. Um, and he's a big guy, you know, uh, big, big, tall guy, broad. So he was doing um, three injections a day, whereas normal people would do one. Uh. Um, and he had to do that for like seven days. Uh. No alcohol, which is hard for him too. Um, so he had to go through that all again. So he had to do that all again and then go back in and have the stem cells taken out again. Wow. Which is which was scary for him because he had young children. Um, he'd, you know, been remarried or with a, another younger lady and, and they ended up having children. So he had young children and everything they're taking out of him is weakening his immune system. So it's, you know, he has risks as well of clots and um, aneurysms and all sorts of stuff. So that was really scary for him. And he doesn't like hospitals at all anyway. Um, so they flew those ones over to us I was admitted into hospital September 12th or something like that. I'd had my head shaved the day before. <laughs> we did the whole head shaving, you know, thing. Um, and I was in hospital. And I was getting ready to go down to have my Hickman port put in. And he sent one of his nurses in to tell me that they didn't have enough stem cells. That there weren't enough healthy stem cells. And when they counted them, they needed so many millions of thousands of, and there wasn't enough. So they couldn't do the stem cell transplant. So all of that preparation, preparation, packing for two months in hospital, shaving my head, everything. I had to just call up my husband, ex, soon to be ex-husband at that time, and tell him to come and pick me up and um, take me back home again. And my mum ended up having to offer my brother like $20,000 to come over to donate over here because they said there's no other way we can do it. They, they can't risk um, trying it again. Um, it's just too risky. So, And they've never, they never, they've, haven't had problems with it before <laughs> until it came to me. 
um, people donate from Germany and England and you know Israel and all sorts of places and they've had success um, but I was just super unlucky so how were you feeling at this time what was were you just how would you describe how you felt at that time were you like um I was really I was I was like I was really just what more can go wrong like what more can happen like mm-hmm. I never gave up I was like even more determined but I was just I was just mind blown as to how all of this could be happening to me so like let's just recap mm-hmm. so f- three or four years earlier you quit drinking mm-hmm. then you end up getting this really really mm-hmm. scary cancer mm-hmm. that a lot of people die from mm-hmm. At the same time, your husband tells you he's having an affair Mm -hmm. and you end up having to move to an apartment Mm -hmm. and all your family is in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You have a few friends that are being supportive and helping you, Mm -hmm. of course. Um, And now your brother, who understandably is having a hard time, Mm -hmm. you know, with this whole uh, being a donor thing, now has to... Fly here, fly here in the and of COVID. during the middle of COVID, and uh, donate, donate again. again for the third time. Third time for the third time. So mm-hmm. okay, so I just want to recap. <laughs> yeah, how mm-hmm. how much cracking opening you're doing now? Right, and that was in a six month period. That's it, it was like April, May, June, July, August, September. Yeah, it was like in that. All that happened in a six month period. Wow. wow. So um, okay, so then mm-hmm. you end up going into the hospital. Mm-hmm. Again. Again. And this time they do the transplant. They do the transplant. Mm-hmm. And how long were you in the hospital? Uh, I went in, like I said, just before Thanksgiving. Um, I was in there all of Thanksgiving. I had my, uh, all of November, I should say, I had my stem cell transplant. I had, prior to the stem cell transplant, you have five days of um, uh, aggressive, they call it, aggressive chemo, where it basically kills you off. I mean, it kills all your cells, white, red blue, purple, whatever, um, kills off everything in your body. Um, and then on the 1st of December, um, I had my brother's stem cells, um, transferred into me. Um, it all went through a Hickman line in my chest. What does that mean? A Hickman line? So it's a, um, it's a, a line that they put through that goes, um, like a tube, a tube. Mm-hmm. It's a port. So, okay. um, it goes through your, um, your aorta so and then it goes straight like basically straight to to your bloodstream okay um so that goes you know it goes all the way up and through into my neck um and then everything is pumped through that so they just basically plug it in so it's not all these needles in there but I still had to have of course there was a shortage of three port hick lines so I could only have a two port um because of covid and there was so some shipments or something so I ended up having to have a pick line in my arm as well um, which was the worst um, so that's how I got the tra- that's how I got the transplant so it was all through that worst thing ever I just the minute the second the cells you could see them going through the the line the second they went to where the port was I just vomited like like nothing I've ever experienced before and the entire time I had three bags of stem cells put into me I was starting to vomit with 
blood and my, I had nosebleeds and that I was vomiting so bad. It's um, pulled all the muscles in my in my shoulder blades and that. And there was nothing they could do about it. They couldn't give me anything because I was in the middle of a transplant. So it was it was my brother. <laughs> yeah, we always say it was my brother, you know, giving me a kick for having to put putting putting him through all of that. Yeah. So that was pretty. That was pretty brutal. And then you felt pretty good for five days, surprisingly. Um, obviously, completely in quarantine. Um, and uh, then after about day eight, you start going downhill, and then that's just the the worst of the worst. Um, you, you just basically you can't eat. Um, all the fluids are going, you know, you don't have any fluids other than what they're putting through you via IV. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just, um, you go through about two weeks of not thinking you're even going to be able to, you're not going to survive. And I just remember having a blood tra couple of blood transfusions because I was transfusion dependent before the surgery, before the transplant. And the lady just saying, you just remember... It is going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. And I held on to that the whole way through. And I tell everybody that, you know, on the support groups and that, that I'm still a members of. And it, and it, it is true. It gets worse before it gets better. Um, I remember, uh, you know, because, again, I was, you were my client. Mm -hmm. And there was not a personal relationship. I cared about you right. clearly. But... Mm -hmm. wasn't like it is now yeah. and um so I didn't really know what was going on mm -hmm. because um you couldn't you know you weren't communicating right and then I got a call or a text I can't remember from Jessica mm -hmm. and she said that they don't think you're gonna make it mm. and she said <laughs> this is I know And she said, would you do a healing for her? And I remember sitting in my trailer and doing the healing for you. And I, I, I was like in the Olympics. <laughs> I was like, darn it, she's not going to die. This is not going to happen. And um, it was, that's the, yeah. that was, I, I don't know if I had been involved in that intimately and uh in that moment um with somebody that was on death's door mm -hmm. like that um yeah and you were you were really out of it yeah um and so anyway that i know it was mm -hmm. really really bad yeah there was three days there yeah where i was incoherent um the the they call it rigors um it's like shakes your whole body convulses um so bad just you want to die like I wanted to die um and I knew when it was coming on um and to get them to listen to the buzzer and get to me with the hardcore drugs that they needed to pump into me to stop that um sometimes took a little bit of time and, and it, when it hit it hit hard and uh Mike was on video chat with me one time and I said I need to get off I'm like I can feel it coming on I started putting on clothes and it just the chill started and it's just from the inside and uh and then I and he says okay and then I called him straight back and I'm like I need you through this I need you to 
be through this with me and he went through it and he said it's the worst experience he's ever had to go through with a person to see me go through that and to be you know not to be there um and that's a big thing that i don't think that we've really mm -hmm. uh, you know emphasized enough the fact that this whole transplant thing Mm -hmm. happened when you couldn't have anybody Mm -hmm. in the hospital with you nope no it was all yeah it was just via you know facebook messenger basically was my best friend so then you were getting on an hour now that we've been talking so um Mm -hmm. so we'll just kind of we got to really get to the meat of the changes right Right. and Mm -hmm. we want to give you all hope and inspiration and so you get out of the hospital Mm -hmm. and at the same time remember she had said that she started developing a relationship or a friendship Mm -hmm. friendship at that point Mm -hmm. with um mike Mm -hmm. who um you know is an important person later to the story yeah so um so he was video chatting with her at the hospital and then you left the hospital mm-hmm. and started your recovery. Yeah. My mom um was over here and it was Christmas Eve and they didn't think I was going to make it through the weekend. Um and my doctor says her mother needs to come in and see her. And uh my mom they snuck my mom in. <laughs> um <laughs> basically really snuck her in um to see me on Christmas Eve and then they and then I started Christmas morning I was doing better and then they snuck her on Christmas Day and I spent Christmas Day watching silly movies and I just within a week all my levels went up um, and they said it was just you know, I needed to see her I needed I had no I had nothing out there to kind of go to like I lost my husband and I lost all my friends and your much. home and my home my cats your cats I lost That's my all... cats he didn't want to look after them and I couldn't have them so Sandy took my cats and found a foster for them and that was heartbreaking I said I'd never ever forgive him for that just taking my babies away um that was really hard and I lost two of, I lost two of my cats in that six month period my cat that I'd had the longest she was nine um had kidney failure and I had to put her to sleep and then when I moved into the apartment I finally got um one of my cats back from the foster and um to find out she was riddled in cancer and I had to put her asleep just uh, six weeks before I went into hospital so that was (laughs) forgot about that yeah that was all on top of it as well so that was pretty heartbreaking so, yeah, to get out of hospital, it was like I was going into an apartment that I'd only been in for a month, and I had no friends apart from my mum, and not seeing her, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it's not like I didn't have something to live for, I just didn't have anything to go, I lost everything. Well, and then the friends that helped you in the hospital mm-hmm. um, also deserted, deserted you. Deserted me. Um, so once I got out of hospital, Mike was visiting on the weekends. He would come and spend the weekends with me. He lived like an hour and a half away, my mum. And then one day after I, my friend just told me that she didn't think I'd been caring for myself properly and that I took all of what they did for those months that I was in hospital for granted and she didn't have time for me to be my friend anymore. And she cut all ties with me. My only, my last and only friend 
um, from before um, just cut me out of her life. Yeah. Her dogs were my, my babies. Um, so, yeah, I lost all that as well. But now, along the way, thinking mm-hmm. about this, you had breadcrumbs along the way. Before you were in the hospital, you fostered for us for the first mm-hmm. time. Yes, two little kittens. Two little kittens. I took them, you'd, you'd put out on Facebook, can somebody take these kittens to the vet? They have an appointment. And so I said, me, I'm not doing anything. I'm just waiting, waiting for the cancer to kick in. Um, <laughs> so uh, I did, and I took them to my vet, you know, animal hospital, and... Uh, and then when I got back here, you were like, oh, I don't know where they're going to go. And I'm like, well, I might haven't filled out any applications or anything, but if you want me to, I can keep them. You know, and at that point, my husband was had been kicked into our basement downstairs. And so the bedroom was mine. And I said, I'll take them and keep them in the room with me. And that's, that's when we, st- yeah, that's, I started fostering just like a few months before I went, or a month before I yeah. went to hospital. Yeah. So that was kind of one of those breadcrumbs, of mm-hmm. course. Your volunteering at the farm, I would say, that was the first breadcrumb. Then mm-hmm. it was, um, of course, the, you know, with the uh, kittens that you fostered mm-hmm. for. I took one of the dogs to the vet to be neutered too for you. That um, another buddy, I think it was. And, yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so there were just little little, little tricklings, little mm-hmm. tricklings of things that were, kind of now looking back on it were big things mm-hmm. because they were creating a new path, new path. in your life. teeny little pebbles um, yeah. next to the path that I was on. Uh-huh. Yeah. But they increased in size, that's yeah. for sure. So you got out of the hospital. Got out of the hospital. And you were still in the apartment. Uh-huh. Stayed in the apartment. Uh, my mom stayed for three months. The three months she had a visa for. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, obviously Mike and our relationship, you know, grew. Uh, I went back to work at the animal hospital. Um, they welcomed me back anytime. Um, I worked in the office, so I wasn't around any people for a few months, just answering phones, making appointments. Um, and how were you, what, how were you feeling at that? I mean, I know Mike was like, that was a new relationship. Mm -hmm. So of course that's exciting Mm -hmm. with the new relationship. So that was good. Then what about everything else? I felt like, I never felt like I was just going to go home. Like, I was really happy with the animal hospital. They, you know, at that point, hindsight, but I was really happy there. It was like a new, a new, it was like, I had purpose. I was working in an animal hospital around animals and I didn't enjoy the manager part, but it was just a new path and it was another thing like there's no way I could have held down a job like that if I hadn't stopped drinking so the drink stop thing drinking got me that you know got me that job now that job turned into my love for animals and caring I started working with some other rescues as well as you through the animal hospital helping um and just wanting to rebuild myself and rebuild my life and I just knew I was on a different I knew I was on a different path and it wasn't a pack up and go back to New Zealand and start all over again there it's like there was a path here for me and I finally found it and um, I was walking it and I didn't want to stop wow Mm -hmm. so after that happened with that last friend of yours that Mm -hmm. deserted you and then of course Mike that 
that started mm -hmm. and you were still at the farm, you were volunteering for us, you were working mm -hmm. at the animal hospital. Um, and then what happened? Um, oh, I should ask what was going on with that? Like when did you, you're cancer free now? Yes. I am cancer free mm -hmm. as of, um, the end of January, 2021, I had another bone marrow biopsy and I was free of fibrosis. Everything was, all my levels were perfect off all my medications, everything. Okay. So, so mm -hmm. she is cancer free. Cancer free. Cancer free. Mm -hmm. And you, how long ago did you move? What happened there? Talk about that. So I bought, um, you know, with my I, uh, divorce money, <laughs> um, I bought a house, a, a townhouse. And I bought it across the road from my animal hospital that I worked at because I thought I was going to be there forever. <laughs> uh, when I went back, he made me general manager. I thought, wow, that's great. But really, he just made up that job for me. Um, it, it all went downhill from there um, at, at the animal hospital. Um, I realized, you know, how toxic, toxic it was and how kind of ill it was making me. And I was like, I've just beat cancer and a divorce <laughs> and losing my pets and um, COVID and everything. And I'm like, I'm not going to let this place bring me down. Um, so I stayed working there. I bought, I bought the townhouse um, in May, I think in May. Um, and Mike moved in with me in July. Um, so... <sighs> And then I think I still kept working at the animal hospital. Yeah, I just kept working there, and uh, it was not—it was not all that it cracked up to be. It was very stressful, um, but I was definitely delving more into meditation, and Sandy was helping me a lot in learning different coping t mechanisms and techniques and 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 that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the divorce had gone through. I was completely divorced. Um, yeah. So then, that, that so then it kind of fell apart at the animal hospital, so and you stopped the working hospital. there. I stopped working there. Um, I'm trying to think when. What did I do in between that? <laughs> um, trying to think of time frame. Well, we know eight. Oh, I started yeah. work. Yeah. Okay. So I left, I left there and I actually got a job at another animal hospital. Um, really nice animal hospital, very caring people. And I was like overly qualified. She says, you realize that it's just a reception job. And I'm like, I realize that's all I want. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I've just been through so much. I do not need any stress of being a manager, a supervisor, or a general manager, anything. I'm like, I just want to still work in an animal hospital. Well, you got a job with me first. Oh, because I was working part-time. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I got a job with you first. Sorry, part-time. I keep thinking April. <laughs> that's because when Flower came. That was April. That's right. So first, she worked. She got a job part-time right. working I've for worked. me. That's right. And then she got a job working at the animal hospital mm -hmm. part-time. So That's she was right. working part-time for me and part-time at the animal at hospital. The animal hospital. And right. we're getting an hour and over an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes. Okay. So, um, so then you 
decided after a while that Animal Hospital, as nice as the people were, it wasn't fulfilling for you what you wanted. No, it wasn't fulfilling at all. Um, I wasn't spending time with the animals. I was just answering phones and I really, you know, as much as I wanted something boring, it's, it wasn't, I had no purpose in that job at all. Um, and I had been, I was working three days a week for you and I was working seven days a week. So I was working here with you Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday, and I was working Monday, Thursday, Friday, 12 hour shifts there. And then, um, two Saturdays, uh, three Saturdays a month. So I was having one Saturday off a month. So it was too much. So it was just too much for me too. So then you decided. I texted you one day and I said, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) any thoughts of me maybe working full time <laughs> and you're like why <laughs> and uh, I'm like well it's too much and two it's so not fulfilling um and then yeah we you talked to Chuck and, and called the accountant called the accountant <laughs> made sure we could afford <laughs> made sure it you could afford it and um and then I ended up putting in notice but I put in seven weeks notice because I felt really bad I'd only worked there for like three months yeah. Um, so that was pretty, by that time I was really ready to be just working one job and focusing on here. Um, and then you got engaged. And then I got engaged. Yes. And you're getting married when? On the 25th of this next month. So in three weeks. Three 25th weeks. of March. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So now that you can look back on your life and you can see the way you've chosen to live your life Mm -hmm. all along and where you are right now. What advice would you give people that are struggling right now? What would you suggest to them? What things helped you now to realize uh, things and and get your, your life to have purpose, meaning, and connections around you? Um, Definitely look for what makes you happy. Look, look for what makes you happy and do more of that um to for me it was animals um surround yourself with people that are good people that are healthy people um i surrounded myself with unhealthy people for so many years um make sure you're putting up boundaries to make sure that you keep yourself healthy um and it's hugely do what you love um I think meditation and um, practicing um, just a healthy lifestyle is is really important as well. Um, and just know that it, you know it, it's it it'll get better. Um, it'll get better. Just surround yourself with people that care about you. But put in put in the work. Put in the work. Yes. I mean, it's not going to just get it better on its own. You need to surround yourself with healthy people. You need to give yourself a healthy mind. Um, and, uh, you know, put in, you know, put in the work and, um, and it'll, yeah, it'll get better. And you'll notice that you'll start seeing different paths and different things opening up that you didn't notice before. Um, and don't be afraid to follow those. That's for sure. So where would you say you are now and what would you say you're, you're grateful for, uh, by and large? <clears throat> I am, um, right where I need to be. 
um, still working on things every day. Um, but I am definitely in a position where I am extremely healthy and um, content. <clears throat> I have huge purpose, which is a big thing, because I never had that before. Um, uh, I don't know. I just <coughs> take the throat now. Um, I, I just <clears throat> I have a lot of strength for the stuff that I've overcome. Um, and what? <coughs> um, and what would you like to see in your future? Do you think about that at all? <clears throat> I don't see too far ahead because <clears throat> I like to be mindful of today. <clears throat> and um, <coughs> mindful of what I'm doing today and be grateful for <clears throat> even having today. Um, um, but I want to continue this path. Um, I definitely want to continue the path of, um, you know, rescuing more animals and being a good person and surrounding myself with good people and helping people. Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's just what I want to do. Okay. Any regrets? Um, maybe not seeing some of the signs earlier, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Everything that I went through and everything that I did made me who I am now. Yeah. Which is a stronger version of myself, a healthier, um, better, nicer person to be around. Um, and my success come, comes in that, in that form that, um, I became a, just a better version of what I was before. She said she became a better version than she was before, mm -hmm. in case you couldn't hear her. <clears throat> yes. Um, so, and I think that that kind of tells you that she's really on a healthy path because when someone asks the question, do you have any regrets? Uh, when someone crosses to the other side of the cracking open, they realize that their life is filled with nothing but lessons that mm -hmm. you're you can either choose to learn or not learn mm -hmm. and had she not gone through everything she went through she wouldn't be the person she is today and she wouldn't have the things that she has and the people in her life that she has mm -hmm. um so that's the sign of a person that is on the path of yeah. growth my calendar my little verse that i have every day that i flick over for the my calendar <clears throat> that you gave me last year says forget the mistakes but don't forget the lesson yeah and that was today's so and it's i took a picture of it and like it's so, so true it's you beautiful know. let go of the past don't forget the lessons that you learned because all of that got you to where you are today yeah and i am super happy where i am today <laughs> yeah that's great mm -hmm. that's great so everyone that's listening right now if you're having a hard time I hope that this story, hearing Nikki's story of her life and her courage to share some things that have been really pretty tough, I, th 
I hope that it helps you in some way and can help you realize that there are people that are struggling everywhere. There are people that go through lots of hardships, but there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to work really hard to get there. And you have to work at it every day. And it's something that you work at till the day your body no longer works here on this earth. Mm -hmm. And you transition to the other side. But in the meantime, just take one day at a time, sometimes one moment at a time. Try to be as present as possible with each day, with everything you do. Try not to think too far ahead or too back in the future or in the past. And to just live each day and come from a place of love and surround yourself around people and animals Mm -hmm. that love you. And if you don't have that right now, you just have to look for it and it might take some time. And just be patient with yourself because as we all grow and from all the changes we go through and all the cracking opens we have is... It takes time and you can't you can't hurry things and things to some extent happen as they're meant to happen and just keep looking towards the light and you will find that love and that connection and the grounding and the rooting and the family that you're meant to have. So keep up the courage and the strength and the hard work. Um, thank you, Nikki, for joining me. Thank you. I hope that you will do more podcasts with me and <laughs> we can talk maybe about some fun stuff about animal rescue work and some of the stories that we have uh, that, you know, with all the different animals that we take care of now. Yes. Would you like that? That would be great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So look for <laughs> Nikki to come and, and join me for future podcasts and we'll share fun and exciting and interesting stories of animals that we rescue on a daily basis through Animal Education and Rescue. And with that, this is Sandy and Nikki. And we wish you a wonderful rest of the day or evening or wherever it is in the world, wherever you're listening to this. And we hope to continue to spread love, joy, inspiration, and education around the world. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Are you interested in reading more stories of animals that shape our lives? Check out all my books that are available for sale at www.sandykamenwisniewski.com. Are you looking to adopt a new family member? See all of our available dogs, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, birds, and much more on our website at www.aear.org.